Welcome back to a brand new episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion. This is episode 103. Today I'm joined by Adam Motherfucking Sink. What up, Adam? Not much. How's it going? It's going, Friday buddy. The 13th. Oh, fuck. Yeah. It's 2020. We're, we're fucking recording <laughs> we're on Friday die. the 13th. Oh, yep. my God. I'm really looking oh, forward to that. <laughs> this, it was actually uh, Ashley's idea to uh, yes. record on Friday the 13th. Ashley, what up? Hi. Yeah, no, I can think of no better way to spend my Friday the 13th than talking about games with you guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry this has happened to you. (laughs) And, uh, of course, we got uh, RBK on the Wheels of Steel. What up, Richie Buzzkill? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm I'm, uh, all settled into my console couch. I'm I'm ready to plug my uh, port into the ports and go dive into the Matrix. So... (sighs) Huzzah, man. Sounds like you got a lot going on, bro. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So, so um, ba- based on uh, Richard's uh, careful idea drops here, we're discussing cyberpunk, politics of cyberpunk today in uh, our episode. Uh, but first, we got like the usual kind of shit going on. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We'll do the, we'll do the regular FMRPG thing. Okay, so uh, this episode is brought to you by our brand new patron, Eric Manch. Eric Manch, thank you so much for your patronage. We really appreciate you. Fun fact, I went to high school with Eric Manch, and he and I actually played in some very kind of like formative Vampire the Masquerade adventures together and some of my fondest memories of playing vampire the masquerade in those kind of halcyon days of the second edition core book are playing with eric manch so uh of course we're very grateful to have uh eric uh as a patron of the show and um we're also gonna actually have him on in just a couple of weeks here to talk vampire the masquerade with us so uh, i'm really looking forward to uh talking about vampire old and new with eric now um if you're interested in supporting the show as eric has then by all means head over to patreon.com and you can find full metal rpg and uh you know drop us a line there we really appreciate you um eric thank you and to all of our patrons on patreon.com thank you very much uh so what do you think, guys? You guys want to do some uh, black hole? What do you think? Yes. Let's jump into the black hole. The black hole is the ever-sucking void of time, attention, and money. It is role-playing. It is the greatest of all hobbies. Uh, so what's uh, everybody been up to? Um, RBK, let's start with you, man. Well, uh, I've just been uh, I've been like staring at... I got the cartel uh, main book from uh, Magpie. Oh, should I... S- I saw that. Fuck. And it, it is a gorgeous uh, volume. Uh, I'm obviously there. There's a couple more books. I'm surprised they shipped them separately, which is uh, both. You know, it's good for me and kind of bad for them. So, uh, but uh, it's it's really interesting. There, it kind of starts out with a um, a treatise on the kind of history of drugs in Mexico, which is going to be really interesting to uh, read through. 
Um, it's a, uh, it, I mean, what more could you want is, uh, kind of this interesting power by the apocalypse, uh, game. And, uh, I, I look forward to reading it. <laughs> so, so that is a Kickstarter that you backed like yes. a little bit ago. Yes. Um, not super long ago. It's not like it's like heinously overdue or anything, right? No, not at all. I mean, it's it, like everything. It kind of slowed down, you know, because of this year, and uh, you know, it's it's also publishing a book. Um, but they're uh, they're doing pretty good. I mean, and it's the the qual- quality takes time. I I understand that, is and they're great at communication. So. Um, I, I think I think Magpie would be very happy to hear you say both those things because uh, they do they do really believe in uh, quality takes time and they are very communicative. Yeah, and and it's uh, it, it works really well for them. They have a very uh, strong brand and and a uh, and great you know products uh, that I've got, I've gotten to play. So I now, I, now I, I would love to play this game someday, but I don't know if I qualify to run it. <laughs> Ah, that's an issue. Oh boy, I think I think Mark Diaz Truman, the author of that book, would be bummed out to hear you say that you feel like you're not allowed to run it. Like what? What? I mean, what? What's holding you back? I know that I'm not. I mean, I remember the uh, interview you got you did with him about this, or was yeah, it? yeah, a while ago, and and t- talked about it. Uh, about this very specific subject. And one of the reasons I backed it is because he said, you know, he kind of gave permission for let me to run it. But I feel like I, you know, obviously I need to ingest this, but I also kind of want to like read a little more narco fiction, maybe like, oh, that's fair. Get, that's you know, fair. cause like it's, I, you know, living in Arizona, we get a little bit of bleed from, you know, Mexico, we get a little more interesting stuff here, like the Mexican grocery stores and the, and kind of the just you know hearing the the trucks playing the uh, the music as they come up to the stoplight you know we get some of that we but you know it's still a bit segregated I mean there's different neighborhoods and stuff like that and I'm somewhat ashamed that I I haven't really gotten to explore too much of that but mostly because I didn't take Spanish I took German like a weirdo so um, so that that that's just kind of like I want to get you know, more into the fiction because that's the thing about Powered by the Apocalypse is it's kind of dependent on you knowing enough about the fiction. And I feel like to do a good job, and I'm sure that this book has enough of it in it that I could probably get away with that. But I would like to be able to, you know, give some good fiction based on real stuff. You know, it's like it's a storytelling game and you need to know kind of the background to be able to tell a story about it. I get that. Right. And that's all fair. That's all fair. I think I think that game designers, generally speaking, when they design games, they design those games to be played. And I think that what makes game designers happy is hearing that people are playing their games. I don't think anybody gets uh, excited hearing like, oh, I backed the Kickstarter and I got the book, and then I put it on my shelf after I flipped through it once, and now it's sitting there. I don't think I don't think any game designer is chuffed to hear that. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, for sure. And I'm actually really interested in it. You know, reading and getting into this because not only is it interesting fodder for interesting fiction by itself, but I also think it's interesting fodder for our subject this evening, which is cyberpunk. 
I mean, if you've ever watched like uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, you you probably don't need to understand what you're what you're talking about to dip your toes into that genre. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to get into that. And then uh, we we got to play. uh, I got to play one more episode of uh, Eternal Lies. And in surprising restraint for a game in the 30s, we just now started. I think the Nazis are going to show up. So, uh, which is an interesting. uh, Normally in a 1930s game, the Nazis are the central figure, but we're just now seeing. Some I don't know if that spoilers if that was something my uh, the game master came up with or that was part of the module so but uh, we'll see so interesting interesting yeah, cool yeah no doubt uh, I started reading Eternal Lies but I did not finish it so um, mostly because I was like man this thing's thick yes I, uh, it's a big book that's <laughs> uh, a big book I was like I uh, I want to uh, read it but I because you're gonna you're gonna have to read it twice if you're gonna run it and I had no plans to run it anytime soon so I was like well I probably shouldn't read it right now um, let's move on to Ashley Ashley what are you up to hey um, well I have. Speaking of showing restraint, I have stayed the fuck off of Kickstarter. So I have no games that have not been pledges collected, which is nice. So um, the two most recent ones are the Thirsty Sword Lesbians that funded, which I'm excited about. And then the Stargate SG-1 role-playing game, which I love Stargate. I have a Stargate tattoo on my arm. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what they ended up doing with that one. But um, So those are the ones I'm waiting on that I'm excited for. Um as far as what I'm playing, I have... So this weekend actually is like all of my nerdy RPG stars have aligned. I have this tonight. Uh, tomorrow I have my Pathfinder 2 campaign, which um, is a lot of fun. So I'm excited about that. Um, I'm trying to... See, the thing is when I play, I have a Pathfinder 2 campaign and I have a regular Pathfinder, like first edition campaign. And I get them mixed up <laughs> like i can't remember what's happening in each one of the campaigns so but i have both of those this weekend and then i also have mammary alpha on sunday so this whole weekend is going to be spent just like just reveling in all of all that is rpg so see i mean that's kind of what i was getting at on uh the last time we were talking about this is i was mm-hmm. like is it difficult to keep these things straight and i imagine that it kind of is so if you're yeah if you're, you're playing in Galarian, you know, and yeah. I mean, I don't know, especially if you're playing in two countries that are like close or something. I don't know yeah. are you playing in like locations that are similar or anything like that. Well, one is the Emerald Spire. So that's pretty much a dungeon crawl and it has been like the entire time. So we're making our way through this like multi-level dungeon. And um, so that one is the one that's been going on for about a year and a half now. And um, so that one is my dwarf cleric, which is very different from my gnome rogue. They're two very different characters. So that one, yes, dungeon crawl is the dwarf cleric. And then the gnome rogue is in the pathfinder two, which is, um, Oh fuck. What's it called? The plague stone. We're doing plague stone for that one. So it's, um, two very different campaigns, but just for some reason I'm like, wait, so did I get poisoned in this one or was it in this uh, one? Oh so, yeah. That yeah. sounds tough. That sounds tough. Keeping that shit straight. I gotta say. Yeah. And I'm not good at taking notes. So yeah, I should be better. That would help probably, but yep. I, it might, it might not. Who knows? Who knows? Nah. Um, 
I'll, I'll go next because I hate it when I go last and then I introduce the subject and it's like I talk too long. So mm-hmm. I'll go next and uh, and uh, I'll say that what I've been on is uh, collecting Delta Green books for uh, role playing purposes. So <clears throat> did I get into this too much? I was on um, I was on Middle Earth Crisis recently talking about this. So if I start repeating myself, I guess you guys can just fucking hear it. Um, <laughs> I decided I wanted to run Delta Green. I started buying Delta Green books, and uh, I have followed Delta Green already. And uh, I was like, "Well, I didn't really like the book very much." I, I, I hate I hate to say it because I love Pelgrane, and um, I just couldn't figure out why I didn't like the book. I was like, "Man, this book is actually really hard to use because you start reading it, and it's just like all these like character. They're not really character classes, but they're kind of like these like skill packages that you can buy for your character, and." Um, Delta Green, just if you're not familiar with it, is kind of like playing uh, like a government kind of spy game, like an intrigue spy-based game, kind of closer to kind of like Jean Le Carré or X-Files than, say, James Bond. But then it also has Cthulhu and like Chthonic stuff in it, right? So hmm. um, it's like it's like it's like government conspiracy horror, right? Hmm. And um, so I was reading Fall of Delta Green, which takes place in 1968. And I was looking at all the character skill packages, and I was like, "Fuck, man! Like, uh, this is like kind of boring, and it's just, like kind of hard to read. There's a lot of alphabet soup in here. It'll like tell you like all the different radio types that you're like qualified to operate." And I'm just like, "Man, I don't really care about this. Is there like a story in here?" And I kept like flipping through it, trying to find the story, and then there's not a lot of story information. So I was like, "Well, I'll pick up the Arc Dream um, Delta Green because." Arc Dream does their own Delta Green, and it takes place uh, not in 1968. It takes place now, and it, it's two books. It's an agent's guide, which is for players for like making characters and using the system, and then a handler's guide. And the handler's guide has the story in it. And um, so I opened up the agent's guide, and the agent's guide is like literally almost exactly the same thing as the Pelgrane. I later listened to a uh, interview with Ken Height, the writer of the Fall of Delta Green, the Pelgrane one where apparently the Arc Dream guys came to him and were like, no, we want you to make a Pelgrane version of this, but it can't be exactly the same thing because we don't want the games fighting each other. We want them to exist in different times. But his goal as a writer was to literally make the same game only playable with the gumshoe system. So that's why they're fucking identical, right? Hmm. Um, but this is, the system's a little different. The fucking uh, Arc Dream one is percentile, and then the Pelgrane one is gumshoe, which I love. Ah. What makes the games different is this fucking Handler's Guide book. Now, the Handler's Guide book has all the story in it. So, really, that's what you need. <laughs> so if you the- want to play Delta Green, it really almost doesn't matter what Cthulhu game you have. You could probably run Delta Green with your Call of Cthulhu book, or your Trail of Cthulhu book, or your Cthulhu Dark book, or whatever. But if you want to play in that world, you need this fucking Arc Dream Handler's Guide because that has all the story in it. It literally has like a year by year breakdown of like everything that happens in the Delta Green like continuity starting in like 1928 or some shit like that. Um, so once I kind of glommed onto that, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty fucking cool. And uh, I've been talking to some people online. I don't know if you guys have noticed. I've been kind of a bit more active on Instagram and Facebook lately. But I've been talking to some people about the uh, Art Dream Delta Green, and I gotta say, it's cool as fuck. Now, I still do love the uh, Pelgrane Delta Green. I just love, I just love Pelgrane. I would probably, if I was gonna run it, I would probably um, run the uh, 
Pelgrane version, but using the knowledge that I acquired in the Handler's Guide from Arc Dream. And to kind of circle back to RBK's point, Pelgrane is publishing a big globe-trotting uh, campaign, right? Oh, For nice. Fall of Delta Green. Did you know this, Richard? I think I heard it on Ken and Robin. I, they're just hinting at it. They were just kind of like at the edges, but... You know, sometimes their commercials I kind of tune out, but (laughs) they were they were working on it like way back in 2018. They were like, uh, there's a like updates on their blog being like, oh yeah, it's getting ready to rock. And I think Gareth Ryder Hanrahan has a bunch of material in it, which I'm very excited about. But here it is, 2020. It's still not out. You can go on the Pelgrane page, and they have a section for it in the store, but they aren't even pre-ordering it yet. And I'm just like waiting for that to become available because the second that becomes available i gotta run that shit that that's fucking that's the shit that's so, fucking awesome so, so. there's no pelagrane handler's guide no and that's at no weird. point at no point in the well because 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 the fall of delta green book is supposed to be like an all-in-one book right it's like right. it tells you how to run the game and so and it has stuff in here like oh like here's how you run a cthulhu creature and here's kind of what the plot arc should be like but it's so light on story. It's like the book expects you to know all this stuff about Delta Green coming in. It kind of uh, assumes that you're one of these dudes from the 90s who bought all the old books mm. or that you already are invested in the new books. But at no point does it say that. At no point does it say, like, if you really want to run this game right, you should look at these other books. And so you're sitting here reading it and you're, like, confused as fuck. You're like, what am I missing? Am I dumb? Like, I don't get it. I don't get why I don't why I'm not connecting with this material. And it's not until you go to the arc dream one and you really start getting into it that you're like, oh, hmm. like like they kind of assume that you already are bought into this other game when you're looking at the fall of Delta Green. It's a bad that's that's a bad move on their part. It's a very <laughs> interesting weird misstep because normally their shit is like on on point. Like they know exactly you know you you read their thing it's like yeah no everything is here you got your reason to play and your and here's all the mechanics you need and go right i mean it has all that it has all the mechanics it it tells you how to use it even it even takes the arc dream um mechanics that they built for delta green and it transfers them over to the gumshoe system and it's a very very tight game apparently it has stuff in it that ken height wrote for uh knight's black agents but he then refined having like had some kind of like you know a few years of experience writing that material to see where it worked and where it didn't to kind of like to create like uh, an even better version of knight's black agents um but then you're just like but what's the story? What am I doing with this? And I think it's because they probably had some kind of contract thing where the art dream guys were like, no, we want you to write a rule set to get this into people's faces, but we have to control the story and we don't want you writing story. And so they write this thing that's very kind of like, that just really, and I keep saying this, just presumes that you own this other game. I see. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, lo- I'm looking at their uh, looking at their site, and it's like, yeah, they really don't have. Oh, there's yeah, nothing. There's like one book, which is yeah, odd for the even core. them. Yeah, it's the core book, and then there are the 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 globe trotting chronicle that uh, is at this point, like as far as it looks to me, like almost two years overdue. So, right. Um, yeah. So, 
Uh, that that was disappointing, but I will say that the Arc Dream version of the game does seem to be quite good, and the people who are um, like devotees of it are fanatical about it. So, yeah, if that's something that you're interested in, if anything I've said sounds interesting to you, um, then check out the Arc Dream one. Would be my number one recommendation. <laughs> um, Adam, buddy, yeah. sorry for sorry for like taking so long there, bro. What are you up to, man? Oh, lots of nothing. So don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Great. Great. So uh, you guys want to get right into you. But I saved up this time for you to talk because, you know, I talk too much. (laughs) Well, anyway, let's. All right. All right, so uh, today's subject, we are talking about uh, politics in gaming yet again. This is, uh, what is this, part five of our of our, of our series, Richard? Uh, I think Where you're are right. We at? I, think, I think you're right, but I haven't, I haven't kept track because we... Yeah, off, off the top of my head, I'm thinking it's part five. Anyway, this is our ongoing series on politics and role-playing. Um, and today we're discussing uh, cyberpunk role-playing, one of uh, the most kind of like... I, I, I'd say it's a it's a subgenre that has seen exponential growth over the last five to ten years. It's a it's a, it's it's a subgenre that be, has become a genre unto itself, and it is such a large and powerful subgenre within the context of role playing that I felt like it deserved its own uh, header separate from just science fiction. Um, another thing that makes cyberpunk an interesting thing to talk about in terms of politics and role-playing, is that, in my opinion, it is the most just deliberately, overtly political game that there is. And not just from the R. Talsorian Cyberpunk 2020 core book, but just as a genre. It is, it is intrinsically political, and it seems to adopt from its starting perspective uh, what what I always say when I like argue with these guys online about keep, keep your fucking politics out of role playing, man. And I go, politics are in all role playing. I don't care what fucking role playing you're doing. There's politics in it. So don't sit here and argue with me that like, I need to keep my politics out of role playing. All role playing is po- is politics. And, uh, I, I really feel like the cyberpunk genre acknowledges that the most in that, like trying to differentiate the game from a socio, political point of view is uh is impossible is impossible so um we're very lucky that uh rbk is here he's kind of our cyberpunk expert i feel like i've talked too much richard why don't you uh why don't you go ahead and you know kick some kick some thoughts to the to the cultists what do you think i i have one i have one note in the fact that those people that say keep politics out of role-playing are most likely trying to convert you to white supremacy so um <laughs> there's I, i'll find the video and i'll link it in the uh, in the show notes but there's literally a strategy where uh, white supremacists move into a hobby that is mostly do- was mostly dominated by uh, white men and then try to like bring people into the fold using arguments like keep politics out of uh, of of this hobby so oh, need to be playing, you mm. just need to be playing LOTFP or my Farag, Richard, and you would understand that you're wrong. 
<laughs> well, I, I'm often wrong, but I'm not wrong about this. This is literally a strategy to be, used to be by, clear. That was that was sarcasm, right? I, don't, <laughs> don't play either of those games, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, that that's just a note. I will I will add that to the show notes. You should watch this video. Uh, shout out to yeah. Nolan. Shout out to Nolan for sending it up to me, uh, and I will link it in the show notes. Uh, yeah, I'd really love that to be in the show notes, and I'd really love to have that just kind of like copy saved somewhere that I can just like just drop it into Facebook groups. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, let me tell you, man, I was in one of these. I was in a converse one of these conversations we're talking about on like literally election night, like oh, election God. night 2020. I was in one of these like conversations where a guy was like, "I don't know why we're gonna have so much politics and role playing," and I was just like cracking my knuckles. <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. So you don't have to worry about that though, because all of them are going to parlor now. So you don't have to worry about mm. Facebook because you know they're all leaving. Yeah, that's. They, they, <laughs> I don't believe it. And second of all, if it did happen, they won't be missed. Anyway, pro- proceed. Correct. Proceed, RBK. Uh, so yes, I agree that cyberpunk is inherently uh, based on a political philosophy. Uh, it's. It kind of started as a uh, the early stuff from uh, Philip K. Dick and other other people that were writing in the the '60s and '70s were talking about the transition from what technology is doing to humans, and that kind of evolved into the you know the the early cyberpunk media of of uh, Blade Runner and Neuromancer. All this it with the kind of class class is intrinsic to cyberpunk you talk mm-hmm. about class and and there is there is no middle class in cyberpunk there is either the the ultra rich or the poor you're one or the other it's it's it, it like you could you could like all of the political philosophies taken to like the nth degree or at least the uh you know uh, neo-feudalism <laughs> as I like to call it uh, is kind of where it goes after mm-hmm. everything co- dystopian col- collapse happens of everything else so interesting interesting um, Ashley do you have any thoughts mm-hmm. you want to do you want to share yeah um, I I have played cyberpunk read the jumpstart which um, I'm really excited for the actual full book to come out actually between now and when this episode releases it's going to be available so that's cool um the pdf will be available the The pdf (laughs) will be available the actual book won't hit the stores for another like week or something like that yeah it got delayed again in shipping from distributors and i'm just like (laughs) get your shit together you can't pre-order it fucking anywhere i'm uh, my my kingdom for a pre-order but like no one's willing to take pre-orders on this thing it's it's uh it's gonna be dicey getting them, kids. Uh, Cyberpunk uh-huh. Red uh, coming out in the next next ten days ish ish. Yeah. Ish. Keep, keep your eyes keep your eyes peeled. Stay frosty. When you said dicey, I was like, "Ha ha!" I see what you did there because dice. So. Um, hey, which speaking of, when I I took out my jumpstart kit, which is in a box, and it comes with like the book and the dice and all of that, and so I forgot about the dice and I dropped them apparently on my floor and my room has shag carpeting in it because I live in the seventies in my heart. And so I didn't realize they were down there. And so I got out of my bed and I'd stepped on them. 
which Ow. stepping on dice sucks, but I'm just really glad they don't use D4s in this game because it's like I'm setting cow chops for myself and then just walking <laughs> over them. So, so that sucks. That was worse than that goes. Anyway, so yes, it is very political. The gap in wealth, like RBK was saying, is just staggering at this point. So um, this is it's been set up to be a warning for us of like, hey, if you keep going this direction, this is what's going to happen. And I feel like as a society, we've actually gone straight down the path that they've said, hey, don't do this thing. Um, the the gap is getting bigger. It's a warning. It's called the dark future for a reason. But it just seems like we're... Because Cyberpunk 2020 came out in the 80s, right? Like 88? Yes. It was, uh, it was, a, it was Cyberpunk 2013 first. Mm. Okay. And, and that was the first cyberpunk role-playing game that I've been able to, f- and that's the ver- verified. I'm sure somebody might have made something, but like uh-huh. that's the first one. Um, yeah. It it, and there's there you know if we're talking about cyberpunk, Artelsorian stuff, mm-hmm. there is some. Uh, everybody's like, oh, you must have read a lot of Gibson and and Michael and Michael William Gibson is kind of the. I would say the father of modern cyberpunk. There, there's a mm-hmm. lot of grandfathers in Philip K. Dick and a bunch of other people. Uh, Werner Vinge, you don't want to forget about Werner Vinge right. and uh, Trudens. You, mm-hmm. you mean like we wouldn't be really a podcast worth our salt if we didn't <laughs> drop that in there. So right, if it's something, if that's like a foundational document, you should read it. Anyway, go ahead. Right, and, and so uh, this the. All this, uh, the background of the fiction being created, and then Cyberpunk, the role playing came com- coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's all in the background of this the 1980s, where you know it sounds mm-hmm. very familiar us to us today because we're still dealing with it. Is we have yeah. an improbable president with economic mm-hmm. woe uh, uh, over economic woes with vast technological uh, leaps happening, mm-hmm. uh, and then dealing with the consequences of that. And in mm-hmm. cyberpunk, you're dealing with technology literally taking your humanity in the cyberpunk 2020 universe is like when you add cybernetics to your body, you mm-hmm. become less human and then you will eventually have a psychosis from that where in our modern day, we have outsourced our brains to technology. And so therefore we have become more uh less empathetic to the world which is 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 oddly mirroring the entirety of uh cool. the current world <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Well, let me let me let me stop you there man and say like and this is this is one of my little pet theories you know how like people create pet theories yeah what one of my pet theories is that we are on some level the first generation of kind of like proto cyborgs all right like we don't we don't have the um, machines hardwired into us yet, but um, we carry around our phones and we use our phones, which are just incredibly powerful computers, even by the standards of when we were when we were children. Like when mm-hmm. we were children, when we were even adolescents, maybe even in our early twenties, just the phones that we carry around passively in our pockets could just blow those machines out of the water, oh, yeah. right? We're, yeah. we're always connected to the internet and, and a certain type of conversation, a certain type of human interaction because of that, because of this constant access to information has uh, completely vanished, right? Like, like there used to be times, I remember them when you'd sit in a bar with your friends, like kind of peeling 
uh, the labels off beer bottles mm-hmm. and arguing about what year a movie came out and what that meant for the actors that were in it. And now you don't argue about that shit anymore because the second somebody brings it up, you just go on IMDb, you look, the argument settled, you move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Nobody, Adam and I have this great story about trying to go see Blade, the first Blade movie together in like 1999. And like trying to go, trying to meet up with people at this theater, but they were at a different theater across town. That would never happen now because we were trying to use fucking pagers and pay phones. We were trying to meet people for a movie. There was this whole idea of like, you got to get there 30 minutes beforehand or an hour beforehand. Mm -hmm. All that shit's done with your fucking phone now. And when we don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah right, right, exactly. <laughs> Film like these with these words you're using, I don't understand anymore. I haven't left my house in like eight goddamn months. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know what you mean. Touche, touche. The, the listeners of the future, we probably sound like we're playing ragtime right now or something. You know, like mm-hmm. the Kaiser is invading Austria. Anyway, um. <laughs> The, well, the Nazis the, are back, so, you know, <laughs> hey, everything old and new again. Additionally, with this sense of constantly having this device with us that, that on some level increases our computational power and our processing power by allowing us instant access to information and ability to sort information very quickly, we now feel weird when we don't carry them around, right? You feel very kind of strange and naked and exposed when you find mm-hmm. yourself at the grocery store without your phone. Like, what am I going to do? I don't have my phone. When everyone in this conversation can remember a time when we didn't have our phones. Yeah. So like, 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 like before they existed, you know? So in a sense, Richard, I totally take your point that this, 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 uh, we have already begun kind of um, merging with our technology. And as you said, our technology is already separating us from our own human uh, uh, experiences. Well, even when you were saying that it increases our computational power and all of that, like our computer is our brain, you know, physically. And it's actually decreasing that because I know a lot of people who cannot remember shit now because they rely on their phones for everything. Like you used to have to know the trivia of when did this come out or whatever. And now you don't because your phone's in your pocket and you can look it up. So there's so many things that like, I don't know any phone numbers by heart anymore. Like I can't remember any phone numbers anymore because it's in my phone. But when I was younger, it's just you had to think about things and remember things and you don't have to do that anymore. So it's actually kind of we are becoming reliant upon our technology and it's a matter of time until it starts getting actually integrated into our person. So Jeopardy is going to get real fucking weird is what I'm hearing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, well, that, aside from Alex Trebek passing oh. away, RIP yeah. and peace, but yeah. RIP. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think what part of this, you know, outsourcing the technology, the, our brains to the technology also means that whatever that technology is feeding us, that's what we're kind of thinking. So mm-hmm. the so the whole like you get into this bubble, this political bubble of who you follow and stuff like that, and that kind of informs your political decisions and and mm-hmm. what you're doing. So that's kind of where we're at now, and it's all kind of predicted in this fiction uh, from. 40 years ago. So. so so let me let me ask you ask me ask you Richard because we because we've moved on we're talking a lot about technology and I can totally imagine somebody sitting here listening to this podcast up until this point and they could say what's political about technology. 
like you guys said that this was politics and role playing, and yet now you're just sitting here talking about technology. Technology is technology, and po- politics is politics. So, so what is political about technology? Well, I mean, first of all, there's the haves and have-nots, right? If, if you don't have the technology, then you're not part. You know, like if somebody doesn't have a, a smartphone, they're they're kind of ostracized. And, and kind of out on at the outside of the bubble of the society. And that sort of is kind of uh, kind of a political, it's somewhat a political decision is like, I'm going to be, you know, outside this bubble of the main culture. But you look at like, you know, countries uh, in other, other parts of the world where they're just now getting the technology and they're, they're changing their whole, you know, imagine, imagine if, we had nothing and then all of a sudden had smartphones, right? That, that like, if we had like, you know, just barely light bulbs and then all of a sudden there's a smartphone, like what kind of radical political changes would happen immediately Mm -hmm. uh, by that happening? So because technology delivers information, anything that delivers information in any form will change your political views in some way, or at least inform them. So well, who's feeding you the information, you know, so that's kind of where that political side of it comes from is where's that information coming from. And as far as the have and have nots, when you've got like technology is kind of the equalizer in cyberpunk anyway, when it comes to the haves versus the have nots, it's like, no, we're not these mega rich corporations, but they have the technology, which is what they're trying to kind of use to level things out. Right. Well, it, it, that's, I think, and it kind of comes back to cyberpunk role-playing is one of the reasons that I think cyberpunk role-playing persists is because it can be a power fantasy mm-hmm. because you're going, uh, you're going up against well, the Goliath uh, corporation. Let's, 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 we'll get back. We'll get back to that. Right. I want to focus more on this concept that we have already emerging of asymmetry. We're talking about asymmetry, right? Because um, uh, what are the institutional advantages that people have when they are in a society or a culture that has a technological glut uh, uh, compared to a, a, a society that doesn't? And even inside of a culture that has a technological glut, are there not um, shades of degree? Right. Like one of the things that we're already seeing manifested in our society is the concept of the paywall. Right. And um, people who have due to like vast income disparity. Right. People who are operating in millions and billions, which, first of all, there shouldn't be billionaires, but there are. But Mm -hmm. a billion a a billionaire can sit there and subscribe to every newspaper and every journal and every periodical in the world. And it means nothing to them. It means nothing, okay, based on how much money that they have, right? And then at that point, they have access to all of that information. And you could, on some level, you could probably compute uh, algorithms or bots to sift through it on your behalf, right? But if you're just a person like us, then, um, I mean, how many of us, like, click on a newspaper article that is pushed in our face by Facebook and we click on it and it's a New York times and it says you have three more free articles this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of them. And, uh, and, uh, if you use any more, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to read New York times anymore. 
right? Does that make you see? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, I think if you're a billionaire, you're not subscribing to news sources. You're just buying them, like Rupert Murdoch's and Fox News and Jeff Bezos and Washington Post. You're literally in control of the news. You don't give a fuck about buying the news. You make the news. Um, I, I really don't see them playing that game. They play a game that's beyond that. Well, I mean, where they control your access to information by feeding the information they want you to have to you. So, yeah, okay, I got three articles this month, but they're just going to give me the articles that they want me to see either way. Certainly they have access to even higher level information than we do. Like when we when, when we were all pitched the internet in the 1990s, the glorious 1990s, it was the information superhighway, right? It was going to be right. like like Ashley was saying, it was going to be the great leveler because all of a sudden everybody who wanted to like read about subjects or get access to cutting edge information or the news would be able to. And what has happened is we're seeing this continual uh, kind of um, uh, disbalance where our ability to even at this point with the concept of fake news to figure out what is actually real in terms of real information continues to erode while there are people like say Elon Musk who sit around getting intelligence briefings from non-state actors as to things that are going on in the world, creating like uh, disparities in information that are as big as disparities in wealth. Well, it's a highway without rules. Like, if Elon goes onto a highway in a Ferrari, and I'm on that same highway in a Nissan Sentra, are we operating under the same constraints? We're not, right? Clearly like, not. Yeah. He has a Ferrari. I have a fucking neon Sentra. There's a big difference between those two. And, <laughs> like, I feel like that cat's already out of the bag. It's been out of the bag. Um, and we're just kind of seeing it brought into sharp relief. Well, mm-hmm. I, I think information. So as information became more plentiful, it beca- became devalued. So those sources that were giving us information had to start charging for it because they were literally getting nothing for their effort. Right. If you, well, if you look at why newspapers and magazines and all, other than the fact that like, information speeding up and speeding up and speeding up mm-hmm. the cycle becomes more about the the 30 you know the the tiktok than the you know 20 page long form article like the those that that information also wanted to be free because as soon as it's digital it's infinitely copyable and so those new york times articles will show up almost immediately on another site for free i mean you have yeah, to deal with ads, calling like, it fake news. like the whole thing is right. reality is whatever you agree upon and we are at the point where reality is up for grabs is there a child molestation ring under a pizza restaurant that has no basement <laughs> No, I'm asking that seriously because the QAnon people will tell you that there is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that's reality and that's the truth. Whereas you and I go, that's insane. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? And other people will tell you the election was stolen. Whereas you and I will look at it and go, that's insane. Reality's up for grabs. Right. Well, and, and that's that's what I was talking about with the whole fact that like you can you you're you're tuned in your bubble. Like you chose, you made choices and then the, the computer, the algorithms, the artificial intelligences have basically 
they have one directive from their masters, which is uh, keep eyeballs on this page. It's important. Yeah. That's the most important thing in the world is for every for that person's eyeballs to be on that page at all times. And so right. I mean, right. we'll we'll see, right? Like, I mean, it was what it was the Beastie Boys who said, "Where you get your information from, huh? You think you can front when Revelation comes? Eventually, it'll get sorted out, right?" One would hope. <laughs> oh, we can all. Hope. <laughs> I think. I think. I think, Richard, you bring up an interesting point about like this. Uh, one of the strange like motivators that we find in like cyberpunk fiction, which is the uh, the concept of like hypercapitalism, right? Um, and we're we're living in this age now. We're in 2020. We're in the age of the most essentially the most like kind of iconic cyberpunk role playing game ever. Yes. And we've we we find ourselves kind of at the at the feet of this golden calf right because we are literally living in an age it's not science fiction anymore where we where information itself you're, you're like you're, you you yourself are positing like eyeballs on the page are more important than the information that is in the page absolutely right mm-hmm. so news news sources do not have an interest or even necessarily a responsibility in providing information as much as they have to provide um, clicks and and eyes, right? People looking is more important than people knowing, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's more important to reinforce biases so that m- you you push everybody to an extreme to make sure it's, that it's, they they you keep those nah, eyeballs in tune. It's important for the money, right? The That's money, right. the money has to keep moving. Right. They don't care what the information is. If they thought that, like, saying that the planet is dying, we need to get down to uh, zero carbon and start getting carbon out of the environment, would sell papers. They'd mm-hmm. fucking print that, but that doesn't sell papers. So this, but this other thing does. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So well, straight like, up, like tabloids for example they will print something that they they know is false but they will do it because the amount of money they will get from people buying it so that they can have the eyes on this is going to outweigh how much they're going to get sued for and i think that when you look at um cyberpunk role-playing the concept of scream sheets and the mm-hmm. way the scream sheets are kind of like uh uh com- completely kind of like uh correlatable to the news but are very obviously related to tabloid journalism it's one of the sort of like um like uh, uh, the ideas that they thought, one of the prophecies, one of the prophecies mm-hmm. that they made was that like tabloid journalism would essentially replace just regular journalism or real journalism. And now we're, you know, it was, it was uh, 10, 15 years ago that Fox won that lawsuit saying that uh, they don't have to tell the truth mm-hmm. because they're an entertainment company and they're there to entertain, not to inform. Right. Right. And it's a rebellious act to report, which is why there is a media, uh, a media uh, archetype in uh, cyberpunk role playing mm-hmm. is that you are gathering the inf- the real information in order to, like, take down the corporation or w- the government or whatever the enemy is in this particular instance. This is this is a reoccurring theme that we see in the very best cyberpunk, is it not? Like, yeah. um it's in Cyberpunk 2020. It's in Max Headroom. Yes. It's in Transmetropolitan, Spider Jerusalem. Man, he's just a guy. He's out there. He he he's trying to he's trying to cut through the noise. He's trying to cut through the the bullshit to talk to people to get into people's heads. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and people, people need to know. 
Right, right. But Alex Jones and Steve Bannon would argue <laughs> they're doing the same thing, right? They Alex would. Jones has come out and said that he's a character. Like he's come well, out and he, said yeah, that because he got sued not... and he had to say that because right. he <laughs> right. But the whole thing is, is like what. It gets back to that whole idea of what is truth? Who's the arbiter of the truth and what is reality? Mm-hmm. And that's a fight now. We're all fighting over what's real. Well, like, I think I think that's it, it, that fight is just sped up. Like as soon as there was like. Somebody. Yeah, but I have people telling me, like, well, prove this didn't happen. And, oh, yeah, prove the know, negative. That's, her, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that's a logical fallacy. I, I mean, can't, you, can't, you can't even do right, that. But, okay, so when you do that, do you know what they throw in your face after that is, well, that's a fallacy. Hmm. <laughs> oh, fuck. God damn it. <laughs> Where you call something a fallacy to avoid the argument, and that's a fallacy, right? And the fallacy fallacy is the new thing that they've locked onto. And it's... Like it's I not just, a thing. I've, I've well, given up. I, I mean, don't I mean, care anymore. Like, like I mean, like it. It, it seems. It, it seems like you're kind of preoccupied with like debating with essentially bad actors and propagandists. I mean, and they, they exist, right? Like well, that's. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just saying like attempting to win hearts and minds by engaging in the town square with propagandists who are literally being trained. Um, in how to create these kind of patterns of like circular logic that, uh, that, that, you know, lead inexorably to some sort of like lowest common denominator exterminationist kind of rhetoric. Um, like, I mean, what's, what's the point, <laughs> you know, people are like, Oh, decorum's over in America, but it's also kind of like, well, what's the point with arguing with these people? You know what I'm saying? Like, they think that like the shape shifting lizard men are like wearing JFK Jr.'s skin or something like I don't I can't I can't have a conversation with you you know they don't they don't know what the word socialism means and they literally try to destroy the definition of that word that's part of their agenda is to make language unusable to describe reality as much as as much as Adam I completely agree with you that reality is 100% up for grabs and that like and then on some level, Mage, the Ascension, ends up being one of the greatest cyberpunk games of all time, be, be, whether they design it that way or not. But you've got these guys now who are like, oh, no, if people literally can't talk to each other because we've fucked up what words mean so much that uh, they can't convey ideas to each other, then we win. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's very much the... Um uh, it's like 1984 and cyberpunk has had the baby and that's the year 2020. Um, <laughs> oh God. Because that, that idea of changing language to not mean what you think it means is literally the premise of 1980, like how 1984, the, the government <laughs> makes sure the population yeah. is like cowed and, and subservient. Newspeak. Yeah. Newspeak. newspeak. Um, <laughs> but I think, and, and my general pathology with dealing with some of these people is to j- ask questions and not try to argue with them because eventually they kind of run out of steam if you don't try to argue with them and just ask questions. And then 
you know, ask leading questions. That, that's what we do in role playing. You've had right? a very different experience than I have had with these people. <laughs> well, let right. me tell you that much. Well, you certainly, certainly, and I, I don't tend to engage unless I, I have a good question to ask. Like, I, my, my particular point is, I actually want to, I want to learn about this stuff, these people in their, in their ways, because, to a certain extent, like these are the people that. I mean, I work at a place that has a lot of people that probably believe this sort of stuff. So, like, I have to, like, I have to, like, figure out, you know, where I can, what I can talk about and what I can't kind of thing. So I can talk about with you guys. And Wait, 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 wait. Richard, are you saying? So you're policing yourself. Are you saying that you're passing? Are you, you have to pass at work? Uh, Do you have to kind of like go ahead, go ahead. In some extent, yes. Though I tend to try and be subversive about it, so I literally have an anti-war slogan on my desk with from Albert Einstein that no one has ever read, <laughs> and it's a big picture of Albert Einstein on my wall, and it's got a, a anti-war, uh, you know, some of his anti-war uh, uh, quotes on it. And, uh, yeah, it's sitting right there. I had it nailed up to the outside of my cubicle. Um, I asked questions about the way, you know, you know, why are we selling to these people? And, you know, I, I, I tend to, I, I ask questions, but I also, my hair is I've almost been a year since I cut my hair and I'm getting like hippie comments at work. <laughs> Uh, right. But do these <laughs> questions and these little acts of subversion and the haircut, like, do they amount to anything? Does it change anything? Or is it just kind of you, like, it sticking makes me, your thumb in the eye, but they're still doing what they're doing, oh, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to change anything. And not mind. to criticize you. Not to criticize you, because I did the same thing, and I didn't change a goddamn thing. All I did was try to, like, assuage my guilt, right? Like, make myself feel better about my participation in what was going on. Let, let, let me let me ask you guys a question. Let me ask both of you a question. In the Matrix, mm-hmm. was Neo passing? He was right. Like he went to his job. He wore the he wore the clothes. He wore the suit. He was passing. He was fine until they singled him out because Morpheus and Trinity found him and were trying to. But he could have passed. He could have kept passing. So what are you guys doing? Are you guys part of the under the underground? Are you guys part of the underworld? Oh are god, guys, no, I'm part of the machine. Are, I'm are like guys, fully you, entrenched into the corporate machine and supporting all of this shit that's going on. I mean, are do you support this shit or are you forced to comply with this shit because what's your option? I clearly am supporting this shit because I do it so that I can earn a living wage so I can like feed my family, right? So no, you but know, you see, if, that's if a logical. If I were a revolutionary, if I were a revolutionary, I'd just be Jean Valjean style, like "fuck all this, time to go burn it down." You did know? you Did you read Les Mis? Like he fucking like was a capitalist, <laughs> Jean Valjean. Like until... he like he like fucking went took the silver and and made a glass factory or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> like uh uh like no um, I think I think it's a logical fallacy in and of itself that uh the the rightists attempt to deploy when they say oh you um are right. against the establishment yet like you, you have a job right. yeah. and mm-hmm. you use money like right. whoa what's my option bro like am i what 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 am i supposed to do like become a vagrant like live under the fucking freeway like like the world has been mapped out and cordoned off 
everything that isn't owned by a private entity is owned by a public entity. I can't just move to Yellowstone and just like fucking Ted Kaczynski it and like live by the geysers. You know what I'm saying? Guillotines, if I (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can't even like, if you buy a piece of land, you don't really own Mm -hmm. it. You don't own the mineral rights. You don't own the airspace. You literally, Mm -hmm. there's, there's very few things you can actually do with that piece of land. You don't even own the water rights. You don't own the water rights. Like if you drill a well without permission, oof, that's bad news. Mm-hmm. And that's a very I mean, interesting Western thing, too. The, by the, the way, this, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is this is a, this is distinctly Western idea. This is a very white idea. This idea well, of like I I own things and I mm-hmm. can I take I I uh, I am the master of the things that this piece of paper says I I own. I mean, it's fucking right. fucking nutty. Fucking manifest destiny. Right. This is my yeah. thing. I have to go out and yeah. I mean, it's, it's the system, you know, the system is so deeply, you know, ingrained that like, it's hard to even, it's hard to even figure out how you can rebel anymore. Right. But if I live alongside (laughs) a stream, right. And you live south of me and the stream flows that way. And I build my cistern on the south edge of my property. Are you going to be happy with that? Because you're probably not. No. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think I think I think that what we're just really talking about here is like, does participating in a society mean that you are supporting that society? Right. Like, no. And and I think I think that like right now, I don't you know, you and I, the four of us, we ain't going to fucking learn Kung Fu from a fucking computer or nothing. But we're speak for yourself. You know, it's That's fucking, like YouTube it's, videos. Yeah, it's fucking, it's, fucking <laughs> it's, it's, it's Friday night. And we're recording our podcast is going to go out to like X number of hundred people who are going to listen to it. And we're going to try and, and, and say to them directly to them, like, fuck this shit. There's another way. There is another way to do this. Right. I mean, on some level, we're almost like kind of like NPCs, you know, like <laughs> the, 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 the characters, the main characters in a cyberpunk game would, would, uh, we would be kind of like flavorful color characters in the background. We probably are not PCs, but um, w- it's not like we don't have our role. It's not like we don't have our role that we play in all of this. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. And I actually saw something today um, that was talking about how uh, in a capitalist society, you can't really apply like your morality to things because it exists regardless and in order to to live, like Adam was saying, you have to participate in it. So you can't really have it held against you to live by participating in it. You can do what you can and you can try and minimize your impact as much as possible. But in the end, just because you go out and use money that you earned at a job to buy food for your family or soup for your family, um, it's that doesn't make you a bad person. Like that doesn't mean you're propping it up. Uh, soup is perfectly made. Just so you know, it's made yes. perfectly, perfectly. Uh, <laughs> perfectly. Um, but but uh, what, what you're essentially saying is 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 uh, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism, which there isn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, we can we can try, but we but right. but right. But all, all 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 consumption under capitalism is inherently um, uh, corrupting to who we are as people. Mm-hmm. It, it damns us. It damns oh, us. I, I, I tried to make vegan pad thai, and holy shit. The efforts I had to go through for that were ridiculous. Uh, yep. Um, 
But uh, in all of this, in all of this pontificating, we've we haven't talked much about the game. So uh, <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about what you do in these games. Now, one of the things that kind of bothers me personally about cyberpunk games is again, like I was saying, you can't play characters like us in most cyberpunk games. This gets back to what Richard was saying is that most cyberpunk games are kind of these weird power fantasies. Am I right? Like you play these like jacked up robot characters, big guns and shit. Um, Richard, what, you have any thoughts on that, man? Yeah. Like there are, I mean, you, any game can be played like we're, we're what we were going to talk about, which is, as more of a street level rebellion thing, which is why I was willing to play Shadowrun, the game you had proposed way back in the day, uh, because we were talking about defending the block and and bringing the people together, and I thought that was really interesting take on yeah, cyberpunk. Yeah, it didn't work. Well, it didn't work for shit. Well, I don't really think that you can play cyberpunk that way, but go ahead. I, I think you can. I just think you can't do it in Shadowrun because that game is intrinsically has many issues, including get your fucking high fantasy out of my cyberpunk. Anyway, uh, hot takes, (laughs) hot takes. (laughs) Uh, but I think you can do this. It's just, the games are set up because they, especially like cyberpunk and you know, the, these, you know, what we would call traditional games were set up to be this kind of formulaic dungeon crawl and instead of being, you know, really talking about the politics of the situation, you might get, uh, you know, you might get some, a little bit on the edge, but it wasn't, it, it's all there. It's all intrinsic, intrinsic to the, the writing of cyberpunk 2020 and all these other games, but it was not what it was set up to do. You, you can get into some of the more uh, esoteric story games and you can really see some of that. You know, you've got like the veil and Axon punk and a, a misspent youth and a bunch of other games that are these more modern story games that are more about the rebellion and not so much about collecting said loots with your sweet cyber arm, which you still have. Cause you can have that. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't, it's not the end all be all of collecting. And so it's sort of funny how the, the loop in cyberpunk games is very much a, uh, a, you're rebelling by participating in the kind of capitalist, mm-hmm. uh, wheel while you're trying to take down these mega corporations that's kind of what the the main loop is trying to mm-hmm. like go fight your way up while your netrunner who unfortunately has had terrible rules for the last 40 years <laughs> uh, to uh, go and take down their computers at the same time. I wonder how much of this has to do with the fact that these games were written in the 80s, which is like the decade of excess. And so in the 80s, it was all about like having the cool gadgets and stuff. So it didn't. It didn't necessarily look like where we are now, but it is kind of that same path. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's funny as fuck when people talk about like because I remember in the '90s when we all looked back at at the '80s as being this really ugly, crass, materialistic decade, and we took about like five years off and had like the grunge movement, and then we were right back to it, and we've mm-hmm. been back at it for 25 years, and no one seems to people, but still people call de- uh, the '80s the decade of excess when it's like. The 80s looked like kind of like a pretty chill weekend by comparison to what we've been doing for the past 20 years since post 9 11. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It was the shoulder pads. 
Yeah, that's really what it was. Is it was the shoulder pads and the Aquanet. Well, so that's what I like mean the by colors, excess, right? They didn't like the beige color of all the technology. So that clearly, it was the excess of technology, and and teal and pink were not, you know. <laughs> Dude, have you like seen people lately? Teal and pink are back, man. Oh like. yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that I think that one of the things that, that cyberpunk role-playing games themselves outside of the story game genre because I do know that there are um, some story games that are kind of trying to do some different stuff and trying to tell some different stories uh, and I, I really appreciate that those things are out there but I think again we get caught up in this kind of nostalgia for like that time when you were in high school and you played cyberpunk 2020 and you were like oh I really want to do that again I want it to feel novel again. And people are looking for these other systems that play that game only maybe like a little bit different. So you don't have to hunt up those old books. Um, and those, those play cycles, as you were saying, Richard are cycles of materialism, right? They're intensely materialistically oriented. Like it's funny because you open up the cover and it'll be like, Oh, this is a game about rebellion. And then you're like, well, what do the rules tell me it's about? And the rules are like, it's about acquiring shit. You need to go out, you need to get better shit so you can take on more missions, which give you access to better shit, which let you take on more missions, right? Yeah. yeah. I think they also kind of missed, like, surveillance, the surveillance state, and they missed, uh, like, drone technology in a big way because both of those things have made these idea of conducting your Black Ops job kind of, farcical in a way well, uh well i think you know, Sha- you're that's gonna the one go thing Shadowrun like, actually got right is they actually had a bunch of drones in there but right like, <laughs> yeah, yeah right but it's like cyberpunk didn't and it's one of those weird things where it's like oh i'm gonna go break into the you know lone star or whatever and steal this thing and it's like well they would id you in a second they would know exactly who you are super fast facial recognition technology drones surveillance cameras everywhere like there is no way you could pull that stuff off Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I disagree. I disagree because I mean, like every time we see like uh, somebody create facial recognition technology, like mm-hmm. it doesn't take long before the underground creates a hack. But, right, like, and know, every time some guy put has this ha- picture holding a tiki torch, you know, yelling racial slurs, we identify him within two hours. Yeah, but he's not like breaking into Lone Star. <laughs> he's like he's like but some he's fucking a, like a dude, he's, right? He's a, yeah, he, he's some asshole racist who thinks that like it's his it's his right and his privilege, which it is, to yell his racist crap in the in the public square and get his picture taken, and then of course that's going to get disseminated by the algorithms. But if you want to if you wanted to break into Lone Star, then there's ways to break into Lone Star. I'd like to I'd like to point out that like the Hong Kong protests have been going on for years. Mm-hmm. years and they haven't been crushed yet people keep talking about the overwhelming power of the techno state mm-hmm. and how the techno state is like like unopposable because of its vaunted position and yet the protesters in hong kong have not been broken and what are they using hard hats rocks yeah, they're using they some- the parliament right Lasers, I mean, it's like they had their Palpatine yeah. moment where they are the Senate. There's, <laughs> there's no more opposition movement in the Parliament. It's, it's gone. It's, it's yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah, it did they exist. ever need them? Did they ever need them? The, they're still, they're still on the streets. I mean, the, the fucking Chinese government brought in like gangsters. They brought in like triad members and were like, go to work on these guys. Right. And there's still there, which is which, which that alliance between the state and the criminal element. 
something we see a lot in cyberpunk fiction. We also see it in fascism. Yeah. And Tiananmen um, Square has a plaque that says, like, nothing happened here. It's... <laughs> You have that Thanos moment. I am inevitable, right? Well, do, you, do you think they can keep it up forever, or is this inevitable? I, 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 I don't. I don't think that anything is inevitable. I mean, like, uh, I don't think that their victory is inevitable, but I don't think that the victory of the state is inevitable either. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's 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 all in and how people choose to play it, and uh, you know, the people in Hong Kong have decided that they would rather um, die than submit. And that makes it very difficult for the people who need them to submit. You know what I'm saying? Because it's important. It's important to them that that submission happens, you know, or else they just go in there with machine guns and end it all, you know? And and getting back to, uh, I, I completely think that that's the only way this actually works if you want a rebellion that's kind of the you look at all the actual rebellions that's kind of where it goes but uh going back to cyberpunk red uh cyberpunk 2020 cyberpunk red the module that comes with jumpstart is kind of a different thing it comes down to a fight at the end but you're all people who live in the same apartment building who are trying to Mm -hmm. defend it against a corporation so mm-hmm. it, it kind of flips flips the script on the traditional like cyberpunk dungeon crawl in their initial jumpstart. So we'll see as as it goes forward what kind of adventures they publish in the future. But I think there is definitely an awareness by uh, at least the writers of that module that said, "Hey, we should be doing something different." This this whole like the cyberpunk dungeon crawl, which is fun. Don't get me wrong. I, that's where I started. I mean, trench coats and, and cyber arms is just a lot of fun, but like, there's a point when I kind of want some, some, uh, more narrative meat, some more political Mm -hmm. intrigue than just like, Hey, we're going to get, I'm going to get a bigger gun. I'm going to run down. I'm going to shoot some more, shoot, 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 shoot a bullet in the head. I think, I think that's the problem that we've seen in shadow run honestly, is that I think that because getting back to politics and role playing and not just politics is, uh, I think that cyberpunk is an innately political, uh, kind of genre. And I think that most of these games end up being kind of weirdly lefty, right? Because the Mm -hmm. subject matter is lefty. It's about humans being exploited and all this shit that we've already talked about. But Shadowrun ends up becoming this weirdly kind of libertarian game, right? It ends up being about mercs, right? Who are going to get theirs, and uh, they're going to get theirs by killing people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I think that uh, uh, Rydus dudes, like, I think they fucking love Shadowrun, you know? Um, I'm going to catch so much shit from the oh, fucking yeah. DXP guys. They're <laughs> They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna fucking punch me in the nose. And I'm not talking about Shadowrun first and Shadowrun second because if you pick up those books, they're very different than what Shadowrun has become now. But like the newest editions of Shadowrun, especially um, editions uh, four, five, and six, are like um, they're, they're they've scrubbed all of that feeling of like rebellion, uh, humanism, uh, like. Uh, the the victory of like the human spirit or of the individual over the machine 
And those games have just become like huge catalogs of stuff you can buy when you kill enough people and loot their corpses. And now you can buy more shit, you know, which is to me on some level, the, you know, antithesis of uh, cyberpunk role playing. Yeah, I think I think uh, Shadowrun has kind of lost its way. And, and it's one of those. It just like every time I try, I mean, like they did Shadowrun Anarchy. And I was kind of liking that for a minute, and then I could it didn't quite work. It just like I don't like fantasy in my cyberpunk. It just it just never it doesn't do then anything for me. You don't like Shadow, right? I know, but I was I was <laughs> like, trying to like it. Period, I was trying to stop. I was trying to like it, and then it just it like I was like okay, and I'm done. So you were like on board with Shadowrun and the dragon and the bugs who ruled Chicago. Okay, I, I, and then I wasn't Anarchy really. <laughs> came out and you were like, no, it's a bridge too far. I can't no, take no, this. No, it was more like I was not on board with regular Shadowrun. Anarchy came out. I tried it as a story game. I thought it was more, just... it was more interesting. And mm. then it kind of just, most people just wanted to devolve back to actual Shadowrun, and I was like, "Well, that's that's that." Right. Then I'll just uh, that's fair, okay. Because I've always now. thought come of Shadowrun as a fantasy game and not a cyberpunk game, but that's my own personal yes, reflection on it. I think so. First of all, Gibson hates Shadowrun. He's like completely aware of it, and he hates it. He's Good. like call he's he he's called it out. He's called he it out. <laughs> nice and 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 Shadowrun fans. Uh, second of all, uh, Dunkelzon is the shit. And the Super Tuesday module, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that the Super Tuesday module itself is kind of weirdly important, you know? I mean, um, like, I'm not one of these guys who says that, like, anything that gets kids to read is, like, good. I don't believe that. But the fact that, like, kind of American electoral politics had a module that was, like, kind of about that. And then on some level, kind of about how that fails, you know, I think that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. I loved it. I mean, I, I, I still I still get worked up for Shadowrun when I look at the uh, cover of we, the Super <laughs> Tuesday module and I see Dunkelzon's face. We lived that four years ago and wrong. <laughs> so. so when you were talking about it being like um, you've got the, the spirit of... Uh, revolution and all of that um it's i think that that's why it ends up being kind of a lefty type game because there's so much capitalism in cyberpunk and you play someone who is kind of rising against capitalism so that's why i i agree i think it is kind of making it lefty because like corporations are the government in this game you know it's like it kind of all becomes this one big conglomerate thing which you're just you know fighting against and you have cool toys to do it so and it was it was actually kind of interesting i was reading the uh cyberpunk red uh timeline and Mm -hmm. most of the cyberpunk 2020 stuff like the governments are gone like it's really like they don't even they barely like they kind of Mm -hmm. fell apart and they're just like nah and this is one of the things i always found is a little bit like I mean, there's going to be some governments. They're not going to be very powerful, but there's, and I had always kind of put some back in and they've, they've kind of said, uh, the governments went, no, 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 we're, we're coming back. So in red, there is more of a government influence on the whole situation, uh, after the Miltech Arasaka war kind of Mm -hmm. concluded in a, in a bit of a bang. 
Uh, yeah, that's a whole <laughs> probably yeah. a whole other podcast talking yeah. about that. You know, you know, you know I, I think that's interesting because um, like corporations, right? In the 1990s, we were all very kind of fascinated with this idea as corporation as the new government, right? Corporation mm-hmm. as the new nation state, the new sort of like a uh, social contract body that organizes people. And you can kind of see that all the way down to James Bond movies with like Tomorrow Never Dies, where like fucking Jonathan Price is like this kind of, you know, villainous English Rupert Murdoch or something. And he's like fucking controlling the world with his newspaper. And um, at the end of the day, let's face it, right? Corporations don't want to build roads. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They don't want to build sewers. They don't want to build schools. That shit is necessary, and they know that it's necessary, but it's not profitable. That that shit is like literally, you can't make that shit profitable, right? Well, that's um, government now, depending on who's in office. Like, there are bodies of government now that don't want to do shit like that for society. I mean, Disney sure. tried to build a town with <laughs> roads and their own post office and their own milkmen and all that shit. No, I mean, I, I think there's still like a there's like a Domino's town in Florida that like uh, you can't get porn. Like it's like <laughs> por- porn is blocked out because the guy who owns Domino's is a super Catholic or some weird shit. Mm. But I mean, like like these kind of like experiments that corporations do with like civic civic projects, they don't they don't work because they know that they need the chumpish government to do that crap, right? Mm. Like that's not something that they want to fucking participate in because it doesn't directly affect the bottom line. And if it does directly affect the bottom line, it's only in a bad way. Um, so this, and this kind of loops back to a conversation we were having about fascism, like uh, early on in the, in the series, which is that the end point of capitalism creates a um, uh, environment that is so hostile to the state of the workers that the workers become just like dissatisfied with their lot and they will abandon the wheels of industry unless one of two things happens, which is either the capitalist ruling class like gives in and starts making life tenable for the worker again, usually through socialism, like, oh, here, here's some medicine for you and here's some education for your kids and we're going to make it easy for you to own a house. Or they can guard their own interests and they can embrace fascism, which is like, like if you don't fucking go to the wheel, we will lash you to the wheel. And when I was a kid reading the Gibson books, I always was kind of bummed out that there were these authoritarian governments in them because I was like, I don't care about authoritarian governments. That's so like 1960s. That's like some fucking Star Trek shit, right? (laughs) Uh, I want to read about these cool new corporations. They're going to be the new governments of the future. You know what I'm saying? I love that shit. Careful but what you wish for. Yeah, now here we are in the fucking crazy, dark, shitty future. And mm-hmm. um, and as it turns out, you get both, right? Because you have to get both, you know? Because the corporations don't want to build roads, but they do want to own the government that will then build the roads for mm-hmm. them. Do you see what I'm yeah. saying? Yep. And, and you see that right in the Gibson books, which is like, oh, hey, I did a data steal and I got all this fucking you know, information and now a government assassin is like fucking trying to kill me. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. One of the things that I saw when I was looking at this and I kind of mentioned it earlier, but, um, I, it's when I was looking into it and how this game is kind of like a big capitalist 
thing. Um, so one of the things I saw was capitalism versus corporatism. And a lot of people are saying that this is actually more representative of corporatism rather than capitalism, which I had never heard that word before. Like I'd never even seen it. So um, basically what I was able to glean from my, my uh, you know, internet research, very, very scientific internet research was that capitalism is about the individual, right? It's all about, you know, free market and you making it on your own kind of thing. But corporatism is when inevitably these people who have risen to the top of it are going to kind of ally together and they have these corporations they've formed. So that's kind of where the corporations end up kind of taking over for the government or at least kind of going into the government is it's kind of capitalism goes into corporatism is what I was seeing. So um, it made a lot of sense with the game being more kind of corporatism rather than capitalism, if that makes sense. I, I reject the notion that capitalism and corporatism can be somehow um, differentiated as two individual things. That's like uh, something that like anarcho-capitalists are like always trying mm-hmm. to sell you on like debate forums, you know, and mm-hmm. they're like, no, capitalism is, is of itself good. If I have a better mousetrap and I set up a fucking lemonade stand and all this shit, and they seem to kind of like, the, in order for, for anarcho-capitalists to sell you on this perfect free market capitalist utopia, they mm-hmm. have to completely ignore the context in which capitalism takes place, mm-hmm. which is like the real world. And um, it, it, it always seems as fanciful to me as when like, uh, people are talking about like, well, you know, uh, we should do like full on Marxism or something. And it's like, well, you know, Marxism just kind of turned into Stalinism. I don't think that, you know, I'm, 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 st- I'm an anarchist. <laughs> All right. Like, I, I, I have, I have like complex views on this shit, mm-hmm. but, but whenever, whenever I hear people talking about corporatism, like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's corporatism, not capitalism. I hear like, I hear anarcho capitalists hash, libertarian mm-hmm. hashtag libertarians it, trying to let capitalism off the hook which oh no that. if i made it seem like capitalism was a good thing that is not my intention i do not think it's a good thing i think that they are kind of a very closely overlapping venn diagram and kind of capitalism flows into corporatism i don't think they're separate things i just and, and neither of them are good so if it came across it i'm like oh capitalism's not so bad it's when it turns into corporatism that it's not a good thing like no. they're both bad it's both I, I i didn't get that impression from what you were saying okay. but I, I all i was saying is that i want to make sure that our listeners understand that there are these you know snakes out there mm-hmm. that will oh, try yeah, yeah. to they will try to sell you this where they're like where you're like man i hate how fucking capitalism has fucked everybody look at the state of the world and they go oh buddy that's not because of capitalism that's because of corporatism the villain and you're like mm-hmm. oh and they're like yeah man imagine if you have an apple and your apple is worth 25 cents mm-hmm. you wouldn't want some socialist taking your apple for 15 cents you know what i'm saying and you're like oh okay <laughs> i know who you are Get behind me, Satan. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> well, uh, I think we're going to have to wrap this discussion up here because we're at uh, we're a pretty <laughs> good, pretty hours. pretty good uh, length here. Uh, but- pretty good length. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, it's been it's been real fun. So, Adam, uh, uh, it's my understanding oh. that you have a you have a special announcement for the uh, the cultists. Do you want? I do. Want- I am uh, stepping back from Fullmetal RPG and from 
kind of gaming in general. I got some shit I need to take care of on the home front. Uh, and so that's taken up most of my headspace and everything else that's going on in my life right now. So, um, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity. It's been a ride. It's been great. You know, I'm grateful to get to know everybody. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's been fun. And I'll be watching from the sidelines. But I leave it in good hands. And I am... Excited to see what happens in the future. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is kind of a craptacular moment here at Full Metal RPG because you know Adam was one of the you know founding triumvirate along you know with me and Ben and Ben's Ben's moved on and like I'm the last of the OGs to carry the torch forward. But uh, I I think I speak for all of the um, the fans of the show out there when I say that. Adam, your, you know, unique tastes and uh, takes and insights and humor and uh, the deep, deep breadth of knowledge that you have about the the industry and the form will be will be missed, will be missed. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I don't I don't think there's a single full metal RPG listener who has made it this this far who um, will not will not miss you um i will miss you because you know in, in many ways i consider this to be our thing and um yeah it's just gonna be it's gonna be a little bit different moving forward so um you know we'll do the best that we can with it we'll you know s- struggle onward valiantly um yeah and that's and that you know you know thank you adam for fucking putting five years into this because you know five years is a long time to do anything and uh, we really couldn't couldn't have asked asked more. You know what I'm saying? I get you. Um, my pleasure. So yeah, man. Like you will be missed, man. Uh, we'll yeah. see you around, but you know. Yeah, don't I'm like, be a stranger. I'm not dead. <laughs> like, Jesus. <laughs> if nothing else, we will always have. Don't that watch time. the flaming arrows. R.I.P. 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 <laughs> yeah, I we'll mean, always I mean, have that time at axe throwing when we beat them, Adam. So there you go. That. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Team Enterprise. I got I got my own axe throwing in my backyard, but uh, yeah, <laughs> probably won't be using that anytime soon. So. Hookers and blow and axe throwing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, Cocaine with that kind of throwing. did you, did you guys know that the English people pronounce? I, I always said the word dour, like sour, right? Uh-huh. But did you know that the English can't pronounce that word doer? Did you know that? Doer, doer. like the Scotch, what, like doers. That's what they say. They say doer. They huh. say it was a it was. A cloudy and doer evening, or something. Like Kalur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah sort of. I guess, yeah, I guess so. Um, after that, after that doer pronouncement, um, we have some interesting episodes coming up. If uh, uh, you know, I hope Adam. It's a real bummer that Adam's not gonna be able to be on for the next two. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna be doing a. Uh, uh, Vampire the Masquerade Fifth Edition kind of breakdown. And, oh man, uh, we have a we're we're also working on putting together a very special uh, character creation episode in which we make characters for Vampire the Masquerade Five because uh, you know we we have a lot of people um, who uh, wanted to be in uh, uh, involved in that. So um, I hope you guys tune in for that. And then starting in. Uh, December, we have a brand new uh, co-host. Uh, his name's Gabe Rivera. Uh, you may remember him from an episode a couple couple episodes back. 
Uh, he's a very kind of uh, exciting and uh, knowledgeable young man, and I think he's going to bring uh, a lot of new, fresh takes. And I, and I think he's going to bring some fresh blood. I think he's going to kind of try and uh, uh, get get uh, some new ideas here on the air, as maybe sometimes you know. I mean, dude, it's been five fucking five years. I think everybody's heard what I have to say. So, um, like, like fresh blood in a bucket. Like he's just gonna show up with a big <laughs> yeah. bucket full awesome. of blood that he collected yeah. that day and just start <laughs> and sloshing then, it around everywhere. And then, and then we're all gonna <laughs> raise it to our lips and we're gonna mm-hmm. drink. And that's very blade. blade. I might show up for that. That's. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, now you want like in? Sounds now like he summons Adam. <laughs> Is Tracy Lord <laughs> gonna be there? Because if now, so, now. then I'll be there. I'm so, so now, so Gabe shows up with his bucket of blood and, and, Tracy, Lords, and Tracy Lords I I guess I'm I guess I'm just chopped liver <laughs> I'm just, I mean you ain't Tracy Lords so now, you know what, bro? Tracy Lords ain't Tracy Lords anymore. It's I hate, true. It's, I hate to say it's, it. It's it, been a while. It breaks I my probably, heart. But I probably you, shouldn't check in. You know who's mint AF? Uh who's Cassandra that? Cassandra Peterson aka Elvira Oh yeah, mm-hmm. he still looks good. Mm-hmm. He still looks good. Yeah. Chef's yeah. kiss, my no love. No lies. No lies there. Uh-huh. This man speaks the truth. All right. Well, Adam, we'll miss you. Uh, mm-hmm. Go with, go with God. Um, thank you, you everybody for listening. Not happen. <laughs> thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Full Metal RPG. Uh, have a great night. Bye. Rah. Mr. Buzz kills 20 minutes in the future.